Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be Customer-Led. This is your host, Bill Stakos. I have another amazing guest for you all today. So Ryan Hart, Ryan's someone I got to know last year. And before he joined the Chameleon Collective, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit, he was managing director of PwC's Japan's Tokyo Experience Center, part of PwC's APAC Experience Consulting Leadership Team, where he and his team of experienced strategists, UX, UI designers, and creative technologists designed and developed innovative products and services for differentiated product service experience advantages. Ryan, so great to have you on the show. I learn every time I talk to you, man, so I'm so excited for our mm-hmm. listeners to enjoy your time here as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Always great to connect with you and great to be back in the States now talking with you. Feels I good. know, I know. Last time mm-hmm. we talked, you were in APAC and now you're, you're back in the States, which is wonderful. So no. today we're, we're talking about the evolution of experience management, something that clearly a great deal about and we can go deep on. Before we get there, though, just Ryan, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your journey? And now you're interim CXO and CX practice lead at Chameleon Collective. So interactive, excuse me. Can you talk to us a little bit about sure. that? Sure. Sure. So I have a very, like a lot of really good customer experience people that I've met throughout my career. I have a really long securitist route actually to get to where I am. And as opposed to, I remember when I used to work for JP Morgan and I used to look at these guys that were managing director and they've been in the, the bank for 20 years. And I was like, wow, it must be so great to be that senior. But now I look at those people and I think that someone that doesn't have the experience of different industries, different jobs, different geographies, I mean, really difficult to, to have a holistic view of what customers want yeah. and how to apply the, those kind of strategies. So just taking a look at understanding the people that have really diverse backgrounds. So for me, I've, I've had a very diverse background. I've been in APAC for probably 14 or 15 years. I was in, I started in banking and real estate in Japan and, and China, moved back to Japan to help launch HSBC Premier, which was quite disruptive for the Japan yeah. market. And that was really wealth management space as Bill from, from your time with Credit Suisse. So we, we launched that business there. And really, what that was kind of my first experience with understanding that you really need to create a differentiated experience to win customers away from the incumbent domestic banks. And so how was what was that going to be? Was, what was going to be so that compelling pull to bring customers mm-hmm. to us from those? And really, I, we identified very smartly that it, it was experience. That was early 2000, around then that we did that. And so from that point, I really saw that creating a differentiated experience for customers was really a way to not only just look and feel nice and have people happy, but I mean, really it was, it was driving revenue and it was winning customers. And so for me, that was where every, that was kind of where the light bulb switched on. And ever since then, I've been in, in customer strategy and customer experience type roles that have led me Singapore. I started a company in uh, Chicago, that I got hired by Sapien Nitro to go lead their practice in, in Singapore. So, so close that down, but then here I am back, back in the States. So uh, yeah, it's been great. And I think uh, for me, really the most special time and one of really that accelerated that learning curve was when I was with Forrester. So mm-hmm. I was with Forrester for about five years, 
led their uh, customer experience practice in some of the thought leadership in Asia Pacific based in Singapore. And then they moved me back to uh, San Francisco to lead uh, design thinking and, and some of the innovation work in the CX space. And which for me was just a, a really fast and accelerated learning experience. Man, you've had such an incredible career from a broader, like big C customer experience perspective. So now you're a chameleon collective. So w tell us a little bit, because that's a little bit of a different business model too, right? So tell us a little bit about your role there. Yeah, no, that's, uh, thank you for bringing that up. It, it's really interesting because chameleon collective is in so many ways, it's the future of work, really. So basically, we have these people that are senior partners at these management consulting firms. Maybe they were a former CMO at a, at a large corporate organization or a practitioner other, in, in another place. And they've just kind of gotten you know, disenchanted or, or kind of disenfranchised with this life at, at a big mm -hmm. corporate organization. So these people, part of the I don't know if you call it the great resignation or the great realization, but a lot of these people now have realized, I just want to do my own business. I want to work closer with my customers. So for me, leaving a large organization like PwC, it's it's when you're a managing director or you're quite senior in an organization, you spend a lot of your time doing performance reviews and, and dealing with internal team mechanics and, and personnel issues. But really, you just want to be with closer to the clients and you want to mm -hmm. be closer to the work. So, so it's a flat organization. Everyone has their own LLC or their own S-Corp. And then we basically, it's kind of where partnerships maybe started maybe 30 years ago where I mean, when they first started, which was everyone had their own book of business and their own clients. And then when they needed to deliver work, they actually drew from the skills and experience that these other mm -hmm. people had. And so that actually through scale then allows them to go after bigger and more exciting pieces of work and transformation work. Really interesting. Well, no doubt there, no doubt your own clients that you're bringing out for yourself and your business are going to get a ton of value of of your expertise and what you can bring to the table, but clearly you've got access to other resources as well, which is pretty Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely, and, and I mean, you, and when you work for a big company, sorry if I can just interject. No, if you go work ahead. for a really, really big company, obviously you, they have a lot of overhead costs. They have a lot of just the cost structure is just so massive that that, that what you charge clients is maybe three or four times what you would as if you were an independent consultant, for example. So the value mm -hmm. that actually clients get now is you have someone who is a C-level executive or has experience running large businesses or P&Ls and then actually has them directly working in the business, really a third or a fourth of the cost. The hourly rate or the project costs mm. are a lot less, but all that money then goes to, to the people that are delivering the work. So I'm actually a big fan. I've been having a lot of conversations with friends who have been fractional CMOs or fractional mm -hmm. other C-level kind of roles. I think the fractional CXO is something that not a lot of people are exploring yet, but I think it's absolutely going to start up as as mm -hmm. people say, hey, I may not want to go all in in this way and just go spend a ton of money on a senior leader. I want to go find someone who's an experience, but can stand up this team, get it started, and even coach and nurture someone who we want to bring up from within as well. I think that there's a really interesting business case and model in there that I think the companies are going to start to explore more and more. Absolutely. Do you see any particular industries that that's happening more more so, Bill? So it's I see that a little bit. I see the interest coming from a couple of industries. Actually, I see like the communications industry a little bit. Like so, mm -hmm. smaller like mid market players, sometimes in the retail space, and a couple of other people that I've talked to about this have been a little bit more on like the private equity slash VC side. 
Yeah. Right. So not like massive funds, but how do you apply a customer experience strategy or create a customer experience strategy that covers or crosses a portfolio of companies? Right. So we don't need like a big CXO to run all this, but we need someone who can come in, call it CX in a box, whatever you want to call it, and actually apply it to the portfolio so they can all kind of bring CX into their own companies, apply this model. And then the goal obviously is how could that create a higher multiple or get quicker to multiple or both? So totally. Yep. I yeah. agree. So I guess I th- you look at a lot of companies that have done leveraged buyouts, for example, or that are looking, that have taken over companies. They want quick, they want a quick path to revenue, right? So yeah. a lot of times they think that what they need to do is obviously they need to go in and get to marketing people right away. But honestly, what I think is if you look at some of the more sophisticated organizations, you look at Gap, you look at Banana Republic, for example, they've basically left, they removed the the CMO position and all those people then roll up into a chief customer officer. So I think the really smart, more sophisticated organizations are if you really want a path to revenue that's sustainable, not just a quick hit with marketing, really is to build in the foundation of what is the customer, what is it that our users really need, what do we really want? So the foundation, these are basically the customer experience management maturity Mm -hmm. foundation pieces. So basically putting those in and then saying, okay, going forward, what's the sustainable path for us to generate revenue out of our customers? It's to align closely with their expectations and basically really build our practices around that. That includes marketing, but that also includes design. That includes enabling your workforce to deliver on your CX vision. Mm -hmm. That also includes being able to prioritize and, and create the right strategy that that maximizes the impact. So a lot of really interesting work out there. And yeah, I hope that more companies see that see a chief customer officer is actually probably better value than just going after marketing folks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like Walmart, I mean, big companies, right? Walmart, McDonald's recently had their CXO or they created it. Now their marketing organization, transformation, all these roles. When you think about, Ryan, just kind of given your experience and you've seen so many teams, so many different leaders, what type of leader do you feel typically has the most success? Like what's the makeup of that individual? Because that's a really, it's a really tough role, one, but it's also tough from the perspective of not just sort of leading so much transformation organization, but influencing multiple C-level executives, et cetera. So like, you know, when you see success in your past lives, what have you seen? Like, what, what is that t- leader typically doing? So I think you basically nailed it, Bill, when you said that. I mean, the influence piece for me, being a great influencer is so critical, I think, to actually getting work done more so than if you're, you know, really smart, someone who's a great executioner, maybe they can execute work and they can get a lot of work done. But to be able to influence other parts of the business, I think is it, it cannot be understated. That is so important. And something that I learned actually working with your former employer, Credit Suisse, actually, is that you can have different groups that, let's say, high net worth individuals, for example. These people are very protective of their clients and they're obviously trying to do work with them, maybe even though they're high value to the organization, making sure they have a great experience has obviously will have a, a good impact on the business. Yeah. But what I see is actually sometimes people that are maybe not so protective, but are a little bit more willing to, to work and make changes. Maybe it might be the second most important area of the business or a third, maybe not the core area. Start there and then start building, building that influence across the organization. You'll have people that are more resistant to 
as a customer experience transformation, maybe start working, working with you and filing in behind you once they see that there is value in doing that. Mm. So I think influence is, I can't, is, I think smart is, it's important to be smart. It's important to be personable, but I think to be a good influencer is such a critical um, skill. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That is number one for me. It, when you look at this kind of leadership and the type of person, and you're right, you can get things done all day long. And sometimes people are promoted into these roles because they're great on the execution side. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes they fall short because great execution in your kind of silo. But then when you start working across, you may not have that skill set, which really can kind of break things down. When you think, Ryan, around experience management and the core tenants, what do you think some of those core tenants are? And do you see them or have you seen them different by... Is there, do you see differences in like digital versus non-digital or by vertical? What do you think those are and what, you know, kind of works across? Right. So again, if I can kind of tip my hat again to Forrester, I think that they came up with a really good structure for what they think are, they say are the competencies or really mm -hmm. the capabilities that, that these organizations, that every organization needs to have. And I think the really great thing about customer experience is that it cuts across all industries. It cuts across all channels too. So, I mean, really you have to research and understand the needs of your customers. Mm -hmm. So research is a key tenant. You have to understand what are your priorities, what is going to be the drive the maximum value for your customers and for your business. So that's really prioritization and strategy. Mm -hmm. You need to then be able to design your experiences that align with your customers' experience your expectations. So having a really good design capability, whether you're an airline or you're a bank or a telco, whether it's digital, whether it's physical, it's still, that's so so critical that you're actually proactively designing the right experience based on those, on those research insights. Then basically uh, you have to be able then to enable your, your people. You're obviously, you have to, that speaks to employee experience. You need to be able to enable them and empower them with the right tools and service blueprint and kind of, how are we going to deliver on this customer experience vision? So really enablement is, is so critical. Then all the big bosses and people are going to come and ask, like, what have you been doing? So you got to be able to measure that. Mm. I think measurement is such a critical, and I think we've talked a little bit about journey analytics, you yeah. and I, but obviously being able to man to measure and show the return on investment for, for your efforts. And then the last one is culture and having mm. the right culture and, and having the right people that building that. Those are, are really the key tenants that I see, you know, companies that are really successful at customer experience do all of those well, or most of those well. Why do you think, I mean, that's four or five, let's say five things or so. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, or where maybe even is a better question, because it's hard. This is hard work, right? Like one, the company has to have the stomach for it. Two, everyone's gotta be bought in. Three, it takes a lot of money to do this really well. Not just saying, hey, we're investing in, tech, in a technology stack to support us, but also thinking about all the changes to an organization that you need to potentially make as well. You know, there's real investment dollars that are associated with that. Why do you think people fail? Or maybe in those kind of, in those Forrester kind of mm -hmm. pillars, where do you think people fail the most or maybe don't put as much emphasis on? Well, I think one is, is sometimes you have certain Probably you've seen this in your career, Bill, but you have certain executives that are more comfortable with certain areas of, of the business than others. And so sometimes they think, oh, well, we really need to design. So we, they would focus all on design. And then at, unfortunately, that neglects other areas that they also need to focus. So in a way, you need to, to kind of build all of those competencies together so that, that they're all kind of orchestrated and working together. But I think 
really where people fail, and I, it's almost cliche to sound this because, I mean, everyone talks about it, but really it's being able to speak the language of the people with money and being able to financially show what is the ROI of, of whatever project you're doing, whether it's the entire customer experience transformation showing the ROI, or whether it's basically what is the ROI if we were to go out and, you know, paint all of our stores red, what's, what's going to be, how is that going to impact customer experience? Yeah, we, we see anecdotally that customers would like that, but how is that actually going to translate into more sales? And so being able to connect those dots between the money story and actually mm-hmm. the customer insight story is the challenge that, frankly, a lot of customer experience professionals just are not prepared to have because a lot of us aren't coming from financial backgrounds, right? Yeah. I remember in, in a past life, when I joined a company, I won't mention the name, but when I got there, they're like, oh, you're gonna help us do better surveys and, and listen to our clients. And I was like, <laughs> sure, that's part of the role maybe. Um, right. They're like, well, then, well, what, what do you think your role is? I was like, I've got three main objectives. I'm gonna increase the revenue of this company, I'm gonna reduce costs, and I'm gonna improve the culture. And those are measures that we're gonna have. And they're that, like, yeah. That's cool. Well, right? Like, and they're like, well, yeah. customer satisfaction's on our scorecard. I'm like, great. That's fantastic. Keep it there. I'm not telling you to take it off, but yeah. you've got efficiency measures. You've got revenue targets. Those are the ones that we're going to connect to and drive. And I, I think you're right 100% that so many times we get caught up in having a great MPS program and getting the metric up and like understanding what the drivers of MPS or customer sat or effort are. We get lost in that a lot as leaders and professionals sometimes, and we forget that at the end of the day, we are here to drive the business. Do it in a way that Absolutely. customers is good for customers, but you got to find that balance. And that's really tough to do, yeah. no doubt. That's a really good point. And I think what I see is, is oftentimes that people get so obsessed with measuring around MPS and these numbers that they will do anything to manufacture outcomes that they actually will serve their purpose, right? Yeah. And I mean, I used to travel to Australia a lot for work when I was in, based in Singapore. And I would go there. And I, every time I went down there, I would have more and more people that I would meet more. This was in the time of business cards. So everyone had business cards. And then everyone gave business cards. And it was like, oh, you're now head of customer experience. Oh, now you're chief customer officer. Oh, now you're no, And it's just more and more cards. But actually, I saw that you look at across Australia at the time, the customer experience benchmarks were not going up. Actually, since they were stagnant for five years, and we saw that, that the economy was actually in those sectors that there were more customer experience people, it was actually going down, it was actually decreasing. So it's like, what are they doing then? Their, their MBS scores are going up, but it's actually not actually creating any material material uplift in, in the business. What was, did you ever come to like, what was your perspective on that? Like, why do you think that? Because I mean, Forrester, right? All these, mm-hmm. form, like they've created all this research. And so like all these scores are kind of petering out. Right. Yeah. I mean, trees don't go to the sky, right? Eventually, yeah. like it gets harder and harder. I mean, going from 90 to 95 is a 50% increase because you've only got 10 points to go, right? Versus mm-hmm. going from like 80 to 85, right? Because you've got 20 points in between 80 and 100. But why do you think that that was happening? We're hiring more CX leaders, but the numbers aren't really moving. What are we doing wrong? So I think, I mean, it's a broad brush. It's kind of a broad brush problem because, I mean, basically you're saying, okay, we want to increase our NPS score across our entire customer cohort or, or, yeah. or population. But the problem is, is you see that at the end of the day, not all customers are equal, 
right? You have some that are obviously high value customers that are spending a lot of money with you and engaging with you and, and things like that. But then you have a lot of these detractors who may be spending. I mean, let me give you a real example. So when I was at HSBC, what I realized is we had actually, we were looking at, we were burning our, our we, everyone was like, we were tired. We were, were trying to service all of these different complaints from customers, do all of these different things. And we were just like spinning our wheels. And so I we analyzed the data and what we found was actually that the customers that were actually causing most of the complaints had like the lowest balances in their account. <laughs> and so what I realized, and so, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about these are high net worth individuals. So it's assets under management. So the AUM of those people were, were actually the lowest, hmm. but then the people with the highest AUM or borderline private banking customers, they were quiet. And so either they were suffering in silence or they just didn't, weren't even making complaints. So what I realized is, what are we doing falling and you know, tripping over ourselves, servicing every little request and need that these low, these low value customers are doing mm-hmm. at the expense of neglecting our high value customers. So I think mm-hmm. segmenting your customers and understanding where, who is actually driving the most value for the company and really focusing first on them as a priority and then working your way back. I mean, obviously you don't want to ignore your other customers, but at the same time, why should you put three people to resolve on a, on a project, some customer complaint, complaint issue for, for someone when you have a lot of other things that you could be doing for your higher value customers? Mm-hmm. I think for me, that's a gap or an issue that needs to be resolved. Yeah, it talks back to your prioritization, right? As one of those pillars, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, hey, I really, I think about the future of lot and I think about the future mm-hmm. of our discipline and decades ago when you and I got, in, got into this game, it wasn't what it is today, obviously. Yeah. How do you see experience management? Like, what are your thoughts on what this might look like five or even 10 years down the road if you want to go down that far? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I think it's really encouraging to see the trend that we talked about when you talked about McDonald's and Walmart and these type of companies. I, I feel like the most sophisticated companies that are doing really well in the space have, have recognized this. The importance of, of customer experience Call it what you want. I mean, maybe once the new shiny thing, but really it's about aligning your products and services to the needs of the people that you're selling products and services to. So if you actually, if you look at companies that are doing that and are doing that well, you have someone that you have customer experience leader that's anchored right underneath the CEO. That's a CX, maybe that's a chief customer officer, a chief experience officer. And then they're actually aligning all of their efforts around the needs of the customer. So that's why I love the, the name of the podcast, Be Customer Led, because that's at the end of the day, that really what it all boils down to. Do I think customer experience is going to go away or change in a, in a material way? I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe that some of the nomenclature and, and some of the practices may change a little bit, but I don't think we're, you're really going to get away from having to, to be able to do journey mapping. Maybe it's analog or maybe it's digital, but I mean, starting very basically with understanding what what is the journey that the customer has with us, what are the mm. pain points, how are we going to actually add more value than we currently do? And I think hopefully my hope in being, I guess, maybe overly positive is just that there's this realization that the more that we focus on this, the more that there's actually, we're going to unlock value for not only the company, but also users, partners, patients, customers. Yeah, for sure. I think that you're 100% spot on. There, are, There's a lot in terms of, those core fundamental capabilities of the work that we do every day, those may evolve in some way, shape, or form, but those are just staples in what in, in, the, in the toolkit, right? And we're going to use those all the totally. time to understand. I mean, look, given kind of my seat at Medallia, I can't get too far into it, right? But there's a lot of 
I'm really excited for the technology that has become available to teams over like, let's say the Mm -hmm. last five years. I mean, Medallia's a 20-year-old company, obviously. But for me, like when you think about sort of the analytical capabilities, I mean, so much of this role has become very data heavy over the last couple of years, for sure. When you look at things like journey analytics, journey orchestration, real time, just interaction management and like being able Mm -hmm. to create the next best journey as as a consumer, I'm going through it. That is pretty cool stuff. That is really cool stuff. I'm really excited for that. I think data knew and I a little bit. I mean, when they didn't have any data. So, I mean, data was like paper surveys or something like that. But I mean, now that that obviously gets a lot more smart about how to abstract the right data and how to actually do things with it. I mean, because that's, I think that's for a while it was okay. We have a lot of data. We We understand we have a lot of data, but now how do we actually action it? How do we actually segment the right data? And actually, how do we actually overlay or map that to interactions mm. in the experience where that actually gives us insights that we can actually action on. So I think that for me is, it's still uh, TBD to be determined or to, to be developed, I guess, but mm. I totally agree with you, Bill. That's, it opens up a whole world of really interesting possibilities, I think. Yeah. And I think just back to your point, as organizations are bringing together these disparate functions, well, not disparate, but like marketing, CX, et cetera, right? That's going to have, and then you kind of put in this sort of tech stack on top of that combination. I think it'd be pretty powerful. I, I'm, I'm really hopeful. I'm pretty positive about sort of the future and direction of, of the discipline. But uh, you're right. We got to understand what the ROI is. We got to make sure that we're prioritizing the way mm-hmm. those core, core, core tenants are, are really key. I've got two last questions for you. And I've actually been dying to ask you these two questions, by the way, all mm-hmm. week. You have no idea. Okay. Who are the leaders you admire most in this space and why? So this is where I say Bill Stakos? No, you cannot. That's, <laughs> that's a good, definitely, you, by the way, that's not true, by the way. Folks. You can just Venmo me the money later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I owe something to Harley Manning because Harley Manning, you know, he's in a lot of people's eyes, the godfather of a lot of customer experience or formalization of customer experience. He wrote Inside Out and or Outside In, sorry, That's Outside In. And, and that kind of at least put the stake in the ground around customer experience. So I learned a lot from him. He was my boss while I was at Forrester for, cool. for, for a long time. And, and so I learned some of the core, you know, some, some fundamentals from him. But I think moving into the space, I mean, Matt Watkinson, who I think as well, who is a, an author, I, I actually remembered visiting him, him in a little shack in California once. And... He was just this is brilliant guy working along on his computer, working on his books. This is right before he wrote the, the Grid, and so he just that fact, the ideas and, and the ability to articulate so clearly and, and so well about some of the, the issues in customer spirit and space for me has always been really impressive. And so I think he's something that I certainly look up to, and I, I certainly follow his and you know read his books and follow his his work. And then I, I think. If I can be a little bit more noble, I think that also all the people that are in marketing that have a sincere interest in understanding customer experience and and have realized that, hey, the days of just marketing to customers has changed. And so we have to be a little bit more studied or, or at least up to date on what happens actually once we created the brand. Mm. Well, then the brand needs to come to life in form of experiences. And so what does that look like? And so marketers that are making efforts to understand that side of it, I think I also have a lot of respect for. Cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were lucky enough to have Matt on this show not mm-hmm. too long ago. The Grid was one of a, there's a couple of books that, but the, that I really kind of keep on going back to. The Grid is one that really changed my perspective on the work that we do every day. 
and he's got a new one coming out this year. So I'm so excited to see that yeah. when it comes out. Ryan, where do you go for inspiration? So I think, Bill, you're also a cyclist. So I think maybe you can agree that, I mean, it's great to just get out and, oh, and go for a long ride and then just really clear your head. So I don't know if that's inspiration, but for me, it's just a really great time to just think. And actually, sometimes when I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm just slogging along and maybe I'm suffering trying to move to Colorado now. So there's a lot more hills. There's a lot more hills here than Tokyo. But sometimes when I'm really in pain cave, I guess I'll be, it gives me some fresh insight and some endorphins to think about new things. So I think that's really good. And I, both of my girls are, are big climbers and stuff. And, and I, I used to be a professional climber. So I actually go take them climbing and stuff like that a lot. So I think they really love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, no, I, I get a lot of inspiration from being on a bike, just in the zone. And you do, I mean, yeah. when those endorphins go on, like the ideas just start coming fast and furious. All right, Ryan, you're running your own kind of shop. You're at with Chameleon Collective. Where can people find you if they want to reach out, learn more, and potentially work with you? Yeah, so thank you, Bill. So they're doing a, a campaign on Valentine's Day, so February 14th, that Chameleon's going to be doing social media posts across all the different channels for me. That's link, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I think there's going to be also stuff on their website. Obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn, Ryan Hart and based in Colorado now. So yeah, happy to have conversations with people. I'm an interim leader, so always happy to help to step in and, and help execute work. And that's how we're positioning ourselves as, as a, an extension or a team that executes the work, not just talks about frameworks all day. It's awesome, Ryan. So good to see mm -hmm. you again. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thank you, Bill. Thank you so much, Bill. It's great to see you again as well. Really Absolutely. appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. man. Great to see you. All right, yeah. everybody. Another great show this week. We're out. Thanks for listening to Be Customer-Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.